So we continue our study of the book of Colossians. We are in Colossians 2, the second half of that chapter. And I must say that the the book of Colossians is, is fairly consistent. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. Every week it's the same message. And yet the reality is we need to be reminded of this every week. Because every single week, every single day, every single hour of every day, all of us are tempted either to believe or to think that we need something other than Christ to help us with our struggle against sin. We are all tempted to to add, well, you know, Jesus, yes, but you need to do these things. And it's easy for us, even if these things are good things that we ought to be doing, to rely on those things as if they had the power or our obedience had the power to make us like Christ. But it doesn't. Today, Paul is going to outline some of the ways these believers in Colossae were being tempted to add something to Jesus Christ, to put on some extra additional items that were being presented to them as other things to rely on beyond Christ. And some of the things that that, that Paul will mention are not necessarily bad or evil. It's simply when you begin to depend upon those things or to insist that everybody does these extra things. It begins to pull us away from Jesus Christ alone. So let's look at three ways that Paul uh, warns the believers in Colossae and warns us to be careful of in our walk with Jesus Christ, to make sure that we are centered fully, decisively in Christ plus nothing else. The first way, uh, in verses 16 and 17, Paul is going to warn us against uh, the, the, the danger of legalism. Let's look at the text, and then I want to define what legalism is and isn't. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. When we talk about legalism, there's sort of two ways I want you to to see legalism. Legalism is when you start to depend on your obedience as if that is what makes you right with God or if that is what can help you become like Jesus Christ. It's moving away from Christ plus nothing and it's basically looking at if I will obey all of these things, God will like me more. He will accept me more. And that is danger to our spiritual lives, to depend upon our obedience. First of all, if you depend upon your your obedience, that's not going to get you too far. Typically what happens with a legalist is if they start to depend upon themselves and their obedience, they begin to actually water down (laughs) the, the actual commandments of God that we should be following because they can't live up to that. And so they become Pharisees, watering down their own sin and then acting as if to the external world that they're all right with God because they obey these external things. 
But there's another way in which legalism is, is dangerous, and that is if you take something uh, that, that, may, that may be a, a reasonable principle, but you begin to uh, state it as if it was equal to God's word, even if it might have some wisdom to it, but you begin to add to God's word and say, this is the new rule that we should follow. And then when you begin to insist that other people follow that rule, you unwittingly begin to drive people away from Christ. Because the new rule that you've invented that may be a very wise way to live begins to pull people and you begin to judge people as Paul's concern says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions. Notice what Paul says, let no one pass judgment on questions of food and drink. It's very easy for, 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 apparently for the people in Colossae, is people were saying you can't eat. They probably were saying you can't eat meat. And if you eat meat, then, then you're less accepted by God or you need to abstain from alcohol. I grew up with this in the church that I belonged to, but, but a long time ago. Now, I was, I was 13 years old. They had a membership requirement that you could not drink or sell alcohol. Now again, both of my grandfathers were alcoholics. Alcohol is a dangerous thing. It's led many, many people down the wrong path. But it's just an interesting to add that to a membership covenant, so to speak. In my mind, it's, it's an example of legalism. Now again, it doesn't mean that being a teetotaler is a bad idea. That's a very safe way to live. That's the, the, you know, that, that's not bad to live that way. But when you insist that this is what the Bible teaches, when clearly it doesn't. I mean, frankly, Jesus' first miracle is he turned water to wine. You're adding which may be the way you are called to live, but when you begin to insist that everybody's got to follow this particular rule, which is an ad additional sort of requirement, you can hurt the faith of other people because it begins to pull them away from Jesus Christ. It does appear in these first two verses with this warning against legalism that we're looking at possibly a, a, a Jewish source for some of the legalism that was coming into the church. Notice he said questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. All of these things would have been part of the Mosaic law, but part of what a Jewish person should have practiced when going to the festivals and the new moon and, and practicing the Sabbath in a certain way as dictated by the Mosaic law. Well, what Paul is concerned about is that the particular understanding that these things were essential, that Christ was good, but you also needed to do all these other things was adding to Christ and therefore pulling people away from Christ. And people were began to insist on these other things. And it was pulling people away from Christ. Legalism always says, I need to follow certain rules in order to gain God's acceptance. And legalists, legalists often judge everyone else if they do not follow the rules the way they feel that they ought to be followed and what happens is the church is disunified because it ceases to be about Christ and people can be pulled away from Christ to depend on their walk with Jesus Christ. 
One more thing I need to say about legalism is that uh, legalism does not, the, the, the warning against legalism doesn't mean that there are commands in the Bible that we need to follow, okay? There's real, you can't, listen, if you go out in the atrium and you start gossiping and I catch you gossiping, you know, in the middle of the atrium and I say, hey, you're gossiping, don't look at me and say, hey, man, stop your legalism, Troxel. No, you're, you're sinning. But it's when we take things that maybe we ought to live by and then begin to impose them on everyone else and it's not clearly from God's word, that's when it becomes legalism. If you depend, even if you depend on actual commands in the Bible, but you're depending on your obedience to make you right with God, you've fallen into the legalistic trap. Even if the commands you're trying to follow are come right out of the scriptures. I can't tell you, uh, it's weird in, in my lifetime. I mean, I, but when I grew up, you know, a lot of people that weren't in the church, that lived in my neighborhood, was, all, was always sort of scoffing at Christians, you know, for our prudish views on morality, and we went to church every Sunday, and, you know, oh, you've, you're following all the Bible, and they would mock that. It's interesting in today's world, the legalism that I see in the, in, in, in the world is, is almost as bad as it's in the church. You know, I, I just think about my own neighborhood. I've been told that I'm driving the wrong kind of car. I drive a Hyundai, Elantra, blue, <laughs> manual. But I've been told by people in the neighborhood, why are you driving this car? Don't you care about the environment? You should be driving X car. Well, I asked, how much does X car cost? That guy person told me. I said, well, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't really feel like I can afford that. And they said, well, if you care about the environment, you'll do it. I asked him for some money. <laughs> he didn't give me any money. I'm driving the Elantra till Jesus comes. There's all kinds of legalism out there in the world that, that, that seems to deny all moral standards. Oh, yeah, I've got people in my neighborhood. If you think different than them politically, you're a bad person. It's not just that we disagree. You're bad. I've got people in my neighborhood who, who, who believe that everyone should think about COVID exactly the same as if anyone had ever thought about that. The legalism in our own culture who, who dismisses the moral law of God is, is pretty thick. And that can all crash into the church. And we make something other than Jesus Christ central. Central to our unity and central to how Jesus Christ is attempting by the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. And Paul is very clear. These things, he doesn't condemn uh, maybe decisions you might make about food and drink. Or even whether you decide to celebrate a festival or a new mood. Or you want to practice the Sabbath in a certain way. Paul doesn't say anything really negative about that. He just mentions in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. He's not even saying, coming to your own personal decision about what you're going to eat or drink, 
You're, you're free to do that in all kinds of ways. You can practice the Sabbath in different ways, in different understandings. But when you think that following these things are going to get you right with God or make you more like Jesus Christ, or if you start to judge other people because they don't follow your personal convictions about these things, that's when we've fallen into legalism. And that's when Jesus Christ recedes into the background. So beware of legalism. The second thing that Paul talks about is beware of experience. Verse 18, it says, let no one disqualify you. And now that word disqualify you is like a referee. Disqualify you in a competition. Spiritually would be with, don't let anybody uh, say that your spiritual life is sort of substandard if you don't do what? Well, if, if you don't insist on asceticism and the worship of angels and going on in detail about visions. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. It's easy for us to look at our own experience and extrapolate our experiences, what we need to have. And we need to have these experiences, the experiences of denying our body different things with certain ascetic practices or the worship of angels or anything else as an intermediary to get to God. Or to, to, to insist upon visions that, that I've got to have these, these monumental emotional experiences with God. Otherwise, I can't grow in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, none of these things are what you ought to be depending upon. None of these things are, are actually essential to you following Christ and being changed by Christ. Because Paul says in verse 19, when you do these kinds of things, experience or asceticism or, or, or looking to angels, it means you're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through which joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. It is by holding fast to Jesus Christ who is the source and power for us to live a new life. And it is into the head that we must all grow together in him so that together we can become more like Jesus Christ. And I don't know how many times in my experience as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've had well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ try to tell me all kinds of things that I needed to do in order to grow in Christ that had nothing to do with Christ, had everything to do with their own personal experience, etc. And yet they tried to jam that on top of me and they'll jam it on top of you even if they're well-meaning. And all of that evidence is not holding fast to the head. Oh, in my lifetime, I've been told that I should speak in tongues. I've never been able to do that. But I'm, now I'm inferior. I mean, one of the problems is I probably sounded like I was you know, speaking in tongues when I learned French. I mean, it, it, was, it, was a, it, was, it said it wasn't a heavenly language of glossolalia. It was an unearthly language. A lot of people will, will have a system of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are good here. Don't, tell, don't sit there and hear me say, I don't think getting up in the morning and reading your Bible is a good idea. It is. You should have a regular time of prayer every day. You should. Should you fast occasionally? You better believe it. But when those things become what you're actually depending upon, 
I've said this before. I got convicted, I really just guilted, into making a commitment. I would read five chapters of the Bible every day for the rest of my life. That's when I was 14. And and they basically said, you have to do this if you want to grow in Christ. So I made the commitment. I took the little, you know, the little, you know, little piece of wood and threw it into the fire. So it was real. Now, it's a good idea to read the Bible. It's a good idea to read five chapters. Probably a better idea to read ten chapters. But I treated it as if it was like this rule for my life. I felt guilty when I forgot to read. And then I found myself, in order to follow the rule, I was reading the five shortest chapters of the Bible every night. I'm an expert in these Psalms of Ascent. (laughs) Psalm 120, 122, 23, 25, 26, 27, 28. Five, six verses a pop. 45 seconds, I was done with my Bible reading. But I depended upon that. And you know what that did? It pulled me away from Christ even though it was a good thing. Good things can pull you away from Christ if you don't look at Christ first and out of understanding what he's done for you, he's the one who motivates you to do these spiritual disciplines or to to make these decisions. It's, It's not motivated by the grace of God. Even good things can actually pull you away from Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to say. It also, it can pull a church apart. Notice what we're saying. We're, we're supposed to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished. In other words, if we are all not looking at Jesus and being nourished by what he did on the cross, if we're not looking to him, we're not going to be very unified because then we're going to find other things to try to unify us a set of ascetic practices that we all have got to follow, a set of experiences we need to have, visions or, or some experience we need to have or, or some kind of uh, worship of angels. Now, when I read this, like, I was a kid, you know, I was 10 years old, I read this. I was like, who in the world worships angels? I never, I didn't know anybody who worshiped an angel. Now, if you go to Barnes and Noble and go on in the spirituality section, you'll have many, many books about angels. There's even a television show, Touched by an Angel. It's, it's quite interesting. So he says, beware of experience. Make sure your life is rooted in Jesus Christ. Lastly, he tells us to beware of asceticism. Verse 20, if with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. In other words, it gets, if you died, and really the, I think the, the way the, the, the sentence is constructed in the original is since you died. The reality is you did die with Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have experienced in Christ his death. In other words, Jesus died to sin once and for all. You died to sin once for all. You were buried with Christ. You're now raised with Christ. And that is the basis of the power you now have in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, to live a new life. Paul says, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. A set of, 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 of maybe ascetic practices, a, a, a set of rules that go beyond Scripture. 
because we somehow think that the rules are going to make us right with God. Rules cannot make you right with God. It's so clear everywhere in the Bible it says the only thing the rules can do is to show you that you're not following the rules. It can show you your ungodliness. It can show you your disobedience. The rules cannot change your heart. If you don't understand that, look at the United States of America. We have more laws than we've ever had ever. Go look at the laws on the books. Some of the laws in the IRS tax code, they're this big. And all the other laws. The laws cannot make people behave differently fundamentally. They cannot bring life change. And yet it's a lot simpler that way to concoct a list of rules and regulations. I've tried this. I was a freshman in high school. I, was, <laughs> I, I, I misread Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 where it says, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I, I did this in an over-literal way, and I said, I'm going to be perfect this year. And I probably lasted 11 and a half minutes. But I had a whole set of things I was going to do and not do. And I tried really, really hard. And the things I had on my list were not evil. They were good. I mean, one of the things I had on there was I was going to obey my parents immediately and cheerfully. Two or three parental instructions into that process, and I either was not cheerful or I didn't do it immediately. I couldn't live it up. I lived up to it. Everything I did, when I played my trumpet, I would get angry at myself because I missed a note or I played it off key. I was a really terror in, 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 in football. I was just frustrated and angry you know, all the time because I'd do the wrong thing. I overthrew the receiver. I, did, I did, didn't hand it off to the wrong guy. I, I made the wrong read on the triple option. And those rules weren't bad necessarily. They did not have the power to change my life. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Paul goes on to say, these are all according to human precepts and teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom. It sounds like a good idea. I mean, the rules, are, they're good. They, they feel it's simple. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. Oh, yes, I would, you know, you're, you're trying to beat sin out of your body as if the body's the only place the sin is. It's how about your mind, your heart. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Only Jesus Christ understood, embraced only when we hold on to him and what he's did. Only when we realize we died and were buried and rose again in Jesus Christ. Only then can he change us. And, and let me just be clear. When he changes us and he begins to change us, you might do a lot of really good spiritual disciplines. But it will be motivated by grace. And it will not be an attempt to earn God's favor and I think you'll be far less likely to try to impose maybe some convictions that God gives you for you. You won't impose them on everybody else and pull people unwittingly away from Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the table. When we take this bread and we take this cup, 
we're reminding ourselves of who is the one, the only one who can actually change us from the inside out because of the death and resurrection of Christ. So I'd like to ask the servers to come forward. Servers, you can have a seat here in this, this front row here. When we celebrate communion, we reminding ourselves and we're feeding ourselves, right? We're drinking, we're eating of what Christ did for us. I'm going to invite all of you who have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to partake with us. And if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, I, I encourage you to pass the elements. These elements cannot make you right with God. We'd love to talk to you more about pursuing faith with you. Scripture is very clear that when we celebrate communion, it's important to confess our sin, to let the Spirit of God show us where we have gotten off track, and to receive, again, the forgiveness that only is offered through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When the... Servers pass the elements. We'll hold on to them together. We'll partake of them together, both the bread and the cup. During the bread, I encourage you to spend some time in personal confession. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, remind us that only in you, Lord, only in you, Jesus Christ, can we be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we see that again as we celebrate.